0: All right, well, good morning, everyone. Would you open up your Bibles to the book of Second Timothy, chapter one? Uh, I'm sorry, Second Timothy chapter two, verse one. That's page, 1756. in the Pew Bibles provided. If you're not used to looking at a Bible, the verse numbers are the small numbers, and uh, you'll see chapter two there on the page. We are concluding our series on the Extraordinary Ordinary Christian Life today. I won't be here next week, but I've got an excellent guest speaker who I believe is going to be able to come and really uh, touch your hearts. And at this time, though, we are wrapping up our study of the kind of Christian life that is truly extraordinary, but it's also truly ordinary because it's open to anyone. See, we've talked about it. Every Christian has the extraordinary privilege of worship. You can approach the throne of God. Every Christian has the extraordinary privilege of prayer. Every Christian has the extraordinary privilege of learning and serving and stewarding. And as we go through these one after the other, we see that you have the potential to do incredible things. But today we are going to talk about the last element of the extraordinary ordinary Christian life. And that uh, makes me think, uh, I most of you have seen the cartoon movie Aladdin. And in it, he has a genie. And he asks the genie and grants wishes, right? That's what genies do. And what does he want to wish for? Well, he wants to wish for the same thing you would want to wish for if you thought about it. More wishes. But you can't do that, right? When you think about the extraordinary things that you're able to do as a Christian, what else could you want? Well, um... Charles Wesley wrote the great hymn, O for a Thousand Tongues to Sing, Blessed Be the Name of the Lord. He prayed that he could have a thousand tongues in his mouth. He said, my problem is that I only have one mouth to praise God with. But through the final gift of the extraordinary, ordinary Christian life, do you know that you can have more than one mouth to praise God with? (laughs) You can have more than one wallet to steward with. You can have more than one mind to learn with and more than one body to serve with. You can do more because the final element of the extraordinary, ordinary Christian life is this. Let's see if I can pull this up. It's difficult with everything up here. The extraordinary, ordinary Christian makes extraordinary, ordinary Christians. You, our final thing, the extraordinary, ordinary Christian life gives us is the ability to evangelize, the ability to share the gospel. Because you are saved, you can show other people how to be saved also. You can give people eternal life. You say, well, I can't, but Jesus can. You know, we sing one of my favorite gospel songs is um, by the cathedrals. I can't take a heart that's broken, make it over again, but I know a man who can. (laughs) You see, you, because you are a Christian, if you've placed your trust in Jesus, you have the extraordinary power to give people the message that gives them eternal life. But it's very ordinary because you can do it at work, you can do it at home, you can do it wherever. It is the ordinary gift we all have for this extraordinary power. And yet, the vast majority of Christians, depending on the study you look at, but it's, a, it's always a vast majority have never led a single person to Christ in their life. And you say, well, you know, there just don't seem to be as many Christians as there used to be because they're dying and are not replacing themselves. My question is, when was the last time that you shared the gospel with someone? Amen. (laughs) But I bet if we had a show of hands of the number of people that could tell me for sure that in 2017 you have told someone else how to be saved, that we would be embarrassed to look around the room. Well, that's good. (laughs) And yet, when we look at it, we need to understand that our evangelism is one of the most important things that we do. This story really jumped out to me. It ran on October 12th, uh, Channel 11. And it stuck out to me so much that I've had it in the back of my mind waiting for this day, (laughs) since October, to use this. Let me read this to you. It's just a short little thing, just a couple paragraphs. Houston, a 911 operator is accused of hanging up on people calling for help. Investigators say that Crescenda Williams had thousands of short calls, lasting less than 20 seconds. In one call, a security guard reported driver's drag racing. Moments later, investigators say that Williams hung up. The recording captures her saying, ain't nobody got time for this for real. Williams reportedly told investigators that she often hangs up on callers because she didn't feel like talking with anyone at that time. She is charged with interference with emergency telephone calls. I want you to imagine if you called the 911 operator and you said, I've got a problem, I need help. And they hung up on you because they did not feel like talking. (laughs) You call and you say, you know, I've really got a problem. There's somebody they're trying to break into my house. And the 911 operator said, ain't nobody got time for that for real. Now, that is not a good 911 operator. As a Christian, God has stationed you as the 911 operator for people's hearts and you say, you know, I don't really feel like talking with anybody right now. Huh. If that's not a very good 911 operator, that's probably not a very good Christian. Can I say that? So, how many people in your life don't know Christ? And how many people have you tried to reach with his message? We're going to see There's a lot more to that than leaving a gospel tract on the table. That's good. I'm not saying don't do that. I think it's wonderful to uh, pray for your servers and to uh, leave them a gospel message or try to strike up a conversation with them. But there's a lot to it. There's a whole lot to it. And so as we're going to see this morning in 2 Timothy 2, verse 1, we are going to learn how we can exercise this extraordinary gift of evangelism. This uh, scripture we're going to study today is probably one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I want to say my favorite, but I got to be careful with that. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. This uh, 2 Timothy 2.2 is probably my favorite verse. I really like 1 John 3.16 and uh, 1 John 3.3. 3, so there's some others that I like also, James 1. But the, uh, this one is one of my favorites at the very least because it says very briefly what our job is as Christians. He says, the things you've heard from me among many witnesses. We'll see what that is in a minute. But he says, what you've heard from me, I want you to pass it on to faithful men who will pass it on to other faithful men. Okay? Timothy, as a man, it was his job to pass it on to other men who passed it on to other men. Women pass it on to other women who passed it on to other women. You use your natural flow, right? I'm not saying you can't witness to somebody of the opposite sex, but you have an, an, an easier connection a lot of times. So you have a responsibility to train people up. And then I know everybody gets sick and tired of watching me multiply by uh, raise things to powers of two in my head. But imagine that 20 of you decided today that you were going to take this seriously. And you said in the year 2017, I am going to reach one person for Jesus and I'm going to train them so they can reach somebody else. I'm going to entrust the word to them so they can entrust it to others. Next year, there would be 40 of you, one year. And then because you have taught them not just to be a Christian pew holder downer, I understand right now our pews do need held down, but ordinarily they're bolted to the floor, right? Right? You don't do me or anybody else any favors by coming in here and holding a pew down. So you taught them better. See, I was talking to a missionary who talked about how he has uh, Corey Page in Austin. Everybody in his in his church, one of the the first thing they do after they're baptized is uh, they read through the uh, New Testament in forty days, and he says it's fantastic because he's in Austin. And so most of these people don't really know any other Christians, and they don't know any better. They don't realize that you're supposed to read one verse and then post it on Facebook and then wait a week and read another verse and make yourself feel good about yourself. They think that it's normal for Christians to pray and read their Bibles and go to church and serve and witness. And so he says, it's fantastic. Unfortunately, all of you are already in on it, that you can come to church and just fake it and not accomplish anything, right? (laughs) That's the problem with being in Houston. We know better. But these people you're reaching, let's suppose they don't know any better. You're reaching a genuinely lost person. So there were 20 of you, now there are 40. Next year, there are 80, 160, 320, 640, 1280, 2560, 5,120, 10,240, 20,480, okay? Okay? You could, in 10 years, 20 people here, could be responsible for reaching uh, 10,000 people, 20,000 people. And let's call it 20,000. Let's round down. And let's just see. Let's say you've got 20 years now. Let's let's dream big. 40,000, 80, 160, 320, Sorry, no, I I messed it up. 640,000, didn't I? 1.2 1.2 million, 2.4 million, 4.8 million, 9.6 million. Let's call that 10 million. Let's suppose you picked up more than one a year somewhere. 20 million people in 20 years. And what else can you do in 20 years? You can't grow an oak tree in 20 years, you know? But you could reach 20 million people for Christ. So then, some of you have been saved 40 or 50 years. So where are your 20 million people? <laughs> the extraordinary, ordinary Christian life means that we have a responsibility to share the gospel. This gets short-circuited, okay? We, Paul says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the word that you've learned, and I want you to pass it on to people who will pass it on. If it was passed on to you, and you never passed it on to anyone else, you are the problem. You are the problem with the program. You imagine if you uh, were a farmer and you had some seeds and you said, well, I think I'm just going to keep these. Just hope for the best. Hope that, you know, some new, uh, new ones crop up. See, how many times do we have the if you build it, they will come mentality? See, that may work for haunted baseball fields. That does not work for churches. <laughs> not anymore, right? maybe once upon a time, I don't know, I've heard that way back you could build a church building and put a sign out front and people would just come in. But people have got a lot of other things to do now, don't they? And the only way people will come in is if you change their heart. And here's the really important thing. Nowhere in the Bible is there a command for people who are not saved to go to church. And you say, well, wait a minute. Find it for me. Find a commandment that tells unsaved people to go to church. It's not in there. The the Bible tells Christians to go to church. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. But there's nothing that tells unsaved people to go to church. So when you go to an unsaved person and you tell them, hey, you really need to come to church, you've got no authority for telling them that. I mean, that's great. Thank you for doing that. But you're not giving them a commandment from God. You're giving them a request you would like them to do. So if God does not command them to come, what's God's command? Matthew 28. Go ye therefore. God did not command the lost to come to church. He commanded the church to go to the lost, right? And so here's my question again. Where is that passion? Where is that outreach? Why is it that when we go to hand out flyers for events, it's me and Sister Pat wandering around with flyers by ourselves? Where is the passion to reach out and tell people the gospel? Where is the passion to go out? Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men if you follow me. (laughs) So, if we are not fishers of men, it only stands to reason that we are not following him. So, He says, the things thou hast heard among me of many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Jesus' ministry was built on this. You say, that won't work. Jesus preached to thousands, but he didn't focus on thousands. He said, you guys are great. But then it says, when he was, he said, he saw the multitudes, Matthew 5, 1. And when he was set, he opened his mouth and taught his disciples, saying, He says taught them, but the context shows he's talking to his disciples. Jesus' focus was not on the crowds. He was happy for the crowds to listen in, but his message was to his disciples. In fact, Jesus' ministry for three and a half years was mostly about three people, Peter, James, and John. In a slightly more extended sense, about twelve. But then through those three and through those twelve, he transformed the world. So, this is the program. Those 12 people reached people who reached people who reached people who reached you. And where would you be today if they hadn't? So here's what he says. The things you've heard from me, commit to faithful men. What is it he's heard? Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 1. Uh, we're going to turn here. If you're you know, not comfortable with the Bible, you can stay in 1 Timothy. But if you are, uh, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. What was it that Paul's message was? What was it that Paul was teaching? Because you say, you know, I don't even know how to tell somebody to be saved. I just, uh, you know, I, I learned the Romans road at one point or something like that, but I can't remember that. I don't, I don't know anything. Well, maybe you can remember 1 Corinthians 15. He says, moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received and wherein you stand, by which also you're saved if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. Look, so he says, look, here's what I declare to you first. He says, the gospel. What's gospel mean? Uh, gospel means good news. And uh, maybe you've, you maybe you're already familiar with the historical background of it. Caesar, when he conquered a new territory, would send out people called evangelists to preach the good news that now Caesar was king. So, if uh, Caesar conquered Israel, he would send out evangelists into Israel to announce to the people, Congratulations, you're now Roman slaves. And those people were called evangelists because Caesar thought, What could excite people more than knowing that I'm their boss? Um, Caesar was also the one who, on his coin, you remember when Jesus was handed the coin, they said, Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? Jesus said, Well, hand me a denarius. And they handed him a denarius. Do you know what was on there? It, it had a picture of Caesar. And in uh, we, they found these coins. It's incredible. On it, it says, Caesar Augustus Pontifex Maximus. That means high priest. Wios Theos, son of God. Because Caesar Augustus said that Julius Caesar had become a god when he died. And so they handed Jesus a coin that said Caesar Great high priest, son of God. Now, who's the great high priest and who's the son of God? It's Jesus himself. And so, Jesus looked at this and he said, Rend unto God that which is God's and rend unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. He says, Caesar can have this coin, but he is not the son of God. He is not the high priest. Don't give him your hearts. So, all all that to say that when Jesus went to Caesarea Philippi in Matthew 16 where the temple to Caesar was and he turned to his disciples and he said who do men say that I am they said some say you're Elijah some say you're uh, Jeremiah or one of the prophets and he says but who do you say that I am and Peter said thou art the Christ the son of the living God they could see Caesar's temple and Peter says he is not king you are you are the son of the living God so the gospel, in this context, is the good news that Jesus is king. The good news that the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, if God's government is here, if Jesus is king, if Jesus is now standing at the right hand of God in the thrones of heaven, then should your life be any different? You know, We pray for our new president today. And uh, our new president will be president from four to eight years. Jesus is king forever and ever and ever. <laughs> so I, uh, you know, I, I fall away because I I just can't help it. I'm a, I'm a politics junkie. I shouldn't be. I just, I need to, I have to stop, right? Because once you start, you can't stop. But ultimately, it doesn't really matter. I say that, um, in some sense, it does matter. That's like me saying it doesn 't matter if you're rich or poor. Uh, in some sense, it matters to the way you feel right now, but it doesn't ultimately affect anything. What matters is entirely your relationship with God. So when the president changed, let's say that uh, you know he is uh, his uh, primary campaign promise, I guess, is to uh, repeal the Affordable Care Act, right let's say that he does that, and you continue to send money to your Obamacare plan that doesn't exist anymore. say, well, that's pretty stupid. It doesn't exist anymore. So if somebody else is in charge, it changes the way that you act. So if God is king and he's changed some policies, why would you continue to live like you did before you realized that he was king, like you did before you bowed to him as your king? Is your life any different because of the good news that Jesus came? So Paul says, look, here's this gospel. He said, I preached this gospel to you. You received it. You accepted it. And you stand in it. This gospel reaches you. This gospel saves you. This gospel holds you. Which also, ye are saved. You are saved by this gospel. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. He says, look, if this is all, if, unless this is all false... Unless this is all futile, unless you've believed in smoke. But look at this in verse 3. For I delivered unto you, first of all, if first importance, that which I also received. So the faithful message that Paul gave to Timothy that Timothy was to pass on is this. How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Okay. here's the gospel. Here's the good news. Here is the announcement that Jesus is king. Here is what you are saved by. You will notice it is not good advice. It does not say be good, start paying attention, listen, go to church. You are not saved by good advice because you're not saved by anything that you do. Starts out Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. The Bible, it's predicted hundreds of years earlier, thousands of years earlier, that the Messiah would come and he would die. He, 700 years before Jesus came, Isaiah wrote, he was bruised for our transgressions and pierced for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Right? He had predicted that God would come down and he would die for our sins. Okay, I, I want to impress upon you the importance of witnessing to people, but I also want to model for you a little bit how you would do it. No. My favorite way is the technique called the way of the master, um which is law then gospel. Okay? So what's a sin? I, you come up to somebody, it says uh you're talking to somebody, you say, Do you believe that you're a good person? Okay. It's a an interesting question. Most people will even say, sometimes you don't even have to bring it up, people will just say, you know, I think I'm a pretty good person, I don't know why I would need all this Jesus stuff, They say, okay, well, that's fantastic, you know, I've never met a good person before, this is great, they say, let me just ask you some questions, do you think a good person would keep the Ten Commandments? They say, well, yeah, I guess that's pretty basic, okay, that's fantastic, okay. And if they say, no, I don't believe in the Ten Commandments, okay, you say, well, what, what about the ones that don't have anything to do with God? Don't kill, don't steal, things like that. Say, yeah, I guess a good person would do those things. You say, okay, well, let's just let's go through the Ten Commandments. First commandment, thou shalt not have any other gods before me. Okay. Have you ever put anything ahead of God? You say, well, you know, I mean, sometimes. I guess it depends on what time the Texans are playing, you know, before God or not. Have you ever put anything before God? You say, well, yeah, I guess I have. Then you are, a, what do you, then that means that's an idol. What do you call someone who worships idols? An idolater. You say, oh, man. You go down a little bit. Um, don't, uh, well, remember the Sabbath and keep it, whole, well, take, don't take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Have you ever used God's name? When somebody uses God's name as a cuss word, say, have you ever used God's name lightly like that? What's that called? That's blasphemy. What do you call someone who commits blasphemy? A blasphemer. Can you imagine if every time I stubbed my toe, I said, Mmm, Brother Moose? <laughs> How would that make you feel? That'd be terrible. So, why do you think that God's name is replaceable for a cuss word? Is God's name something foul in your mouth? And when people say, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, people say GD, they tie God's name to a cuss word, I just want to punch them in the mouth. You know, I don't. I'd like to, like, you know, if, if you, if, you know, and you say, well, I just, it's not that big of a deal. Man, if somebody talked about your wife the way that you let them talk about God, if they used your wife's name the way that you let them use God's name, you'd punch him in the mouth, right? It's not just me. I don't mean literally punch him in the mouth, but when you use God's name like that, can you imagine? Maybe if it was your wife, you really would punch him in the mouth. I don't know. Don't raise your hand. That's a, that makes it premeditated now. <laughs> so, you understand what I'm saying? The way that people use God's name, you would not let them use the name of someone you care about like that. So why do you use God's name like that? Anyway, sorry, that was a diversion. I just couldn't help myself there. You are a, so we've got uh, idolater and blasphemer. We go a little farther, uh, honor thy father and thy mother. Say, so have you ever disobeyed your parents? Well, And anybody, you know, it's kind of interesting to do this with a little kid because usually kids about five will try to say no. I know your parents. You want me to call them? So, disobedient. Then we get to the fifth commandment don't kill. You say, Have you ever killed anybody? This is the point where everybody, you know, whew, that was close. Look at this. I'm doing better now. (laughs) I was four for four. And then you come to and you say, You know, Do you think, so if God knows your heart, you know, if there really is a God, he knows your heart, right? And he knows your desires, he knows your thoughts, he knows your feelings. Do you think that he's going to give you credit for something you just didn't get the chance to do that you really would have done if everything had worked out? So, well, I guess not. So Jesus says, if you hate your brother without cause, then you've already committed murder in your heart. The fact that you hate somebody, so if you had the chance and you could just make them disappear, nobody would ever know, there'd never be any consequences, you've got hatred for somebody, Jesus does not give you credit because you didn't, because you didn't get the opportunity. So what do you call somebody who kills? A murderer. Next commandment, don't commit adultery. You say, well, I, Jesus says, hey, if you've lusted after someone in your heart, you've already committed adultery. Jesus does not give you credit for what you did not get the chance to do. Don't steal. Say, well, you know, I've never stolen anything. Wait, wait, wait. What about something little? What about uh, lying on your taxes? You know, well, I don't have to report cash tips. Say, stealing. What do you call somebody who steals? Like a thief. Don't lie. Don't bear false witness. What do you call someone who ever told a to lie? Well, I mean, a little bit, no. Have you ever told a lie? A liar? Don't covet, you've been greedy. So, by the time you finish this with somebody, they usually get the point, right? You are a blasphemous, idolatrous, murdering, adulterous, thieving, stealing, coveter. So you say, if God is perfectly just how would God respond to an idolatrous blasphemous? And you've all heard me use this illustration a hundred times, but somebody oftentimes wants to say, well, I've done a lot more good stuff than bad stuff. You, know, you just try that with the judge. You get pulled over going hundred miles an hour in a 40 mile an hour zone. And they say, you know, what's your defense? You say, well, yeah, I was speeding, but most of the time I don't speed. You see how far that gets you, right? You're not, you're not on trial for the times you weren't speeding. You're on trial for the times that you were. And, of course, my favorite, and I'll say it because I think it always, it always makes the point to people, is if I went and I was on I-45 and I killed somebody in a fit of road rage, and I went before the judge and the judge said, did you kill this person? I said, yeah, they were just driving like a moron. I just couldn't help myself. And the judge said, okay, well, what's your defense? I said, well, you should have seen all the people that I should have killed but didn't. I was on I-45. How how long is that defense going to go? So when you stand before God, God's not interested in the times that you weren't cussing and stealing and lying and lusting and hating. He's concerned about when you were. So when you stand before the judge from whose face heaven and earth flee, right? God sees everything about you, knows everything you've ever thought and everything you've ever done, and he sees standing before him and admitted liar, blasphemer, murderer, (laughs) adulterer, uh, uh, thief. What does he do? Does he declare that person innocent or guilty? At this point, it's very clear. Guilty, guilty, guilty. So what does he do to the guilty? Well, what do we do to the guilty in, the, in this context? So you say we put him in prison or whatever. But what is this crime? What's your crime? Your crime is treason if Jesus is king. If the gospel is true that Jesus is king, your crime is treason. What's the, the penalty for real out-and-out treason? It's death on the books, right? The wages of sin is death. You deserve to die because of your sin. And... If you die like that, you will be cast into hell. You'll experience the second death. That doesn't sound like very good news at all, does it? You can use that with somebody, can't you? You know the Ten Commandments. If you don't know the Ten Commandments, they're in Exodus 20. Just learn them. Write them down. Put them on flashcards. I don't know what you need to do. Make up a song. Colleen will make up a song for you. She does that all the time. It'll be fine. Um, I, I don't know exactly what it's going to take for you. You can even just open up your Bible and say, well, let's go through the Ten Commandments together. If you think you're a good person. Just a little good person test. So by the end of that, there are no good people. Somebody says, I don't even believe the Bible. Well, you say, well, that's fine. But let's just, let's just see if you're a good person or not. You know, I'm not, not trying to get you to accept the whole Bible right now. I'm just checking something. And so, then you say you've got a problem, right? But the good news that Jesus gave to Paul, that Paul gave to Timothy, that Timothy entrusted to faithful men, that entrusted it to other faithful men, is that Christ died for your sins, according to the scriptures. That just like he had prophesied, Jesus died for your sins. See, you should have died for your sins, but Jesus, instead, who had never done anything wrong, Jesus, who lived a perfect life and did nothing, died, he took the punishment you should have had. You say, well, that's, that's not fair. Well, that's true. You, of course, you know, you imagine a, a captain, you know, saying, the actions of my crew are my responsibility. I take their punishment. You imagine the... Uh, as some kind of leader taking on the load of others, you see, I couldn't die for your sins uh, because I've got to die for my own sins. All right? You can imagine one man on death row says, "You can just kill me for the rest of these guys too." Well, good luck, you know that's, that you can only die once. But Jesus, being one hundred percent God, was able to take the penalty for all mankind for all time. He's infinite. And being 100% man was able to die. Have you ever really been convicted of your sins, been really like overwhelmed with guilt? Now I want you to multiply that out by your whole life. And then I want you to double that because there's a lot of stuff you've done wrong that you don't even remember. And then I want you to multiply that by every person who's ever lived. And that's the guilt that Jesus bore on the cross. That's the guilt that he bore and then he experienced the punishment for all of it. And hanging on the cross, he said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Abandonment by God, Jesus went through hell on the cross. Four, blasphemous, murdering, thieving, lying idolaters. Here's the good news, that Jesus died for your sins, according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. That he didn't stay dead, but as the king, he conquered death. That's the good news. He's the king because he's defeated the old king. Who is the king of the world? Well, it's death. (laughs) You know, we were slaves to death. Fear of death became slaves of the devil. But you were slaves to sin and slaves to death. But Jesus conquered your old king. He killed it by dying himself and then rising again. He was God. It was impossible for death to hold him. He was man. It was possible for him to sink into the grave. I want you to imagine him dying in your place. And you say, well, it wasn't that big of a sacrifice if he knew he was going to come back. In the cross, the infinite God was able to endure infinite suffering. In the moment, in six hours, he was able to experience what you could not bear in an eternity. The punishment that you deserve, he bore. He died. And He rose again according to the scriptures. And here's the truth, is that if you believe that, if you believe right now, you say, you know, I am a sinner. I do deserve God's judgment. But I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe that he rose again. And I want to ask him to forgive me. I want to just trust him. Then he has changed you right now. You don't have to wait for the end of the service. Right now, you can, in your heart, cry out, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And God will change your heart if you need forgiveness. See, you would be a fool. How many people do you know that have just dropped dead? How many people do you know that had a stroke or a heart attack or something and they were gone before they ever knew what hit them? That could happen to you right now. (laughs) So if right now you know that if you died, in the seat that you are in, if you never got out of that pew, if you were carried out of that pew, if you know that you would go to hell, why on earth would you do that? Why on earth would you not say, you know, Jesus, you're my only hope? And if you trust him and him alone, and you know that, you know, if you are, uh, if I'm standing next to a a rope and uh, it goes across a, a cliff and I say, hey, we should swing on that and uh, I'm with somebody, and they say, oh, do you think it's safe? I say, yeah, I think it's safe. You go first. <laughs> I don't really believe that it's safe. You know, If you say, well, I believe in God, and it's all in here, and you're not willing to rest your trust on him, you understand that's not what I'm talking about. You don't believe in Jesus like you believe in George Washington. But are you willing to say, I trust you? I fall backwards into your arms, Jesus. You are my only hope. See, you may have repeated a prayer or something, at some point in your life and not be a Christian. Jesus said in that last day, many will come unto me saying, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out many demons and do many wonderful works in thy name? And I will say unto them, depart from me, ye that work iniquity, I never knew ye. There are many people who have repeated a prayer or whatever and are never really saved. All right. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Let me, we're just going to have to Stand here a little bit by the window. You'll be all right. He says, it's too bad the clock is battery powered or we'd be in a better shape. The, there are people who have never really been saved. All right. That was your chance. You see? You can, there are people who have really never been saved but think they have, who've never really trusted Jesus. They've never really made a heart commitment. And if that's you, don't leave here today like that. And so when you're witnessing, know that that's a real thing. The worst thing you can do please don't do this is when you're trying to witness to somebody say, "So are you saved?" Because if they say yes, whether they're really saved or not, what are you going to do now? Argue with them. You know what are you gonna, if, they, if they say, "Well, you know, I've been saved," and they bring it up, that's fantastic. And then what I always do when that comes up is I say, you know, that's great. I love to hear people's salvation stories. Will you tell me about the time you got saved? And they'll say, well, you know, I was, uh, I was in a car accident once and somebody pulled me out. You say, well, that's, that's not what I was talking about. See, so you need to be able to test their testimony, right? They say, well, I was baptized, you know. Well, they've, you say, well, how do you know you're going to go to heaven? And they say, I was saved. You say, oh, that's wonderful. You know, can you tell me about your salvation story? And they say, well, you know, when I was uh, three days old, the priest sprinkled me, and so I've been saved. See, you can find out a lot. If you just ask somebody if they've been saved, and they say yes, where are you going to go with that conversation after that? Say, well, no, not really. No, you haven't. You know, good luck with that strategy. So don't lead like that, but come to them and say, you know, when you stand before God, what are you going to say? And if they say that they are you know, saved by the blood of Jesus. You say, that's fantastic. You know, that's wonderful. Now, are you serving him, right? Because if we're going to have faithful servants who are going to entrust the word to faithful men, who are going to entrust it to faithful men also, it's not enough to just be saved yourself. How incredibly selfish that is. So, the message is that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So, and in verse 14, Five, that he was seen of Cephas and then of the 12. And after that, he was seen of above 500 of the brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain until this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James and of all the apostles and last of all to me. As to one born out of due time. Jesus, he, Paul just says, you know, this is not something that is apart from evidence. This is something they were witnesses. And at this time, he says, look, some of them have died, but most of them are still alive. He says, go ask them. Go ask the people that saw Jesus alive after he died. Jesus had 12 apostles. Judas killed himself. Ten of the remaining died because they refused to take back that Jesus had come back to life and that they had seen it. See, Muslims and Buddhists and Hindus and everybody die for what they believe. Mormons die for what they believe. But the apostles died for what they saw. <laughs> and you can believe it because they were so sure of it they died. So, back to 2 Timothy. Second Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 2 again. He said, this is the message you've heard. That Jesus died for our sins. That he was buried. That he rose again. And there is proof. So, trust that to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Here's my question then. If you've received that message yourself, that's how it starts. The things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, have you received the message of the gospel? If you have, you need to pass it on to other people and teach them, disciple them, teach them the Bible. You say, well, I don't know much. Well, teach them what you know while you're learning more from somebody else. Find somebody. You know, um, when uh, somebody gets saved, I always try to set it up where we can meet once a week for several months and spend a couple hours together at a time for me to teach them the Bible. You know, just say, look, let's just go through a book of the Bible. Let me teach you the doctrines of the faith with the intention that they can do that for somebody else. Who can do that for somebody else? Who can do that for somebody else? If you've never gotten that, if you've, you know, if you say, well, I've picked up a little in church here and there. Well, let me know. Let's sit down. Let's make some time to get two or three of us together and go through the Bible and just teach through the Bible and teach you so you can witness to others. Who can witness to others, who can witness to others, who can witness to others, who can change the world. You can reach 20 million people in 20 years, if you will. It's costly, though, of course it is. Thou therefore endure hardness as of a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. It says, it's hard to do it, right? He says, when you become a Christian, you are enlisting in God's army. And you can't get distracted. You can't, you know, you can't take your cell phone with you to basic training and say, well, you know, I just need to call home. I guess, uh, you know, in the, when, when Paul wrote this, the Roman army did not have any stress cards, right? It was war, <laughs> He says, endure hardness like a good soldier. You don't do the things that you want to do. You don't get entangled in civilian affairs. You do everything you can to please your commanding officer. And if a man strive for masteries, you know, if you're competing in athletics, yet he is not crowned except he strive lawfully. You don't get the prize unless you play by the rules, unless you do it right, unless you follow instructions. God has given you an instruction and do not expect a reward when you are disobeying the number one thing he told you to do. The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. He says, look, the the farmer gets the first taste. Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men if you follow me. He said, the fields are white unto harvest. Pray that the Lord of the harvest will send laborers into his harvest. God has prayed for you to go and talk to people. He's prayed for you to go and tell people about the gospel. I think it's wonderful if you want to invite people to church, absolutely. But I would so much rather you bring somebody to church and say, look, I led this person to Christ. I would love to see them baptized. I would like it so much better if you would say, you know, this person has come to church with me today and they're not saved yet, but I've been witnessing to them and I think God's working on them. One, re- one uh, sows another waters. <laughs> you work together in that. But when you say, you know, well, I tricked this person, you know, I told them we were having lunch today, so here they are. There's a lot less power in that, right? You have got a responsibility as an extraordinary, ordinary Christian to give people what they need. People want to be accepted. People want to be loved. People want forgiveness. People want peace. And you have it all. And like our famous uh, 911 operator, you say, well, you know, I don't really feel of talking like talking with anybody right now. Say, I say, when was the last time you told somebody about Jesus? When was the last time you gave somebody the message that can save their life? And you say, ain't nobody got time for that for real. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. He says Jesus died and he rose again. And because of that, because I've preached that message, I am chained up. But the message that I preach has gone on. Is my simple question for you this morning: If you died today, is there anything that would go on? Is there anything that you've really invested that's really going to matter? Only that which is done for Christ will last. You remember, of course, uh, we started this series with William Borden. No reserve, no reserves, no retreats, no regrets. And let me promise you, no one has ever died of embarrassment by sharing the gospel. And if you are mistreated because of it, if you are mistreated in the process of trying to reach people for Christ, Jesus died for it. A servant is not greater than his master. I'm going to read these last few verses. I've got very little to say about them. Therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sake. That they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. He says, I endure everything for the sake of those who might be saved. That they could experience that salvation. What are you willing to give up to be saved? Are you willing to give up your lunch break to do a Bible study? Are you willing to risk losing a friend? Are you willing to risk embarrassment? Are you willing? It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. Do you want to be the person that Jesus denies? Do you want to be the one that Jesus is ashamed of because you were ashamed of him? If you've never become a Christian, if you've never placed your trust in Jesus, I ask that you would. I ask... That you would say, you know, Lord, I know that I have a sinner. I know that when I hear your law, I know that I'm guilty. And be saved today. If you are...